Now, when you're sitting there watching this man who you really are just starting to get to know, um, kneeling down in a bright light shining from the floor up into his face during wreck on the highway or stolen car, when he's jumping off the piano during, you know, during Thunder Road and Jungle Land and, and all the songs from, from the river, you're getting such a sweeping overview of who Bruce was, even in 1980, that he's going to take you on a ride of a multitude of, of directions. So it wasn't just going to be, this is great music, let's rock. Uh, you were taken somewhere, and I think you and I talk about this, you know, it's every time since then, every single show, every album for me, I mean, you know, there's a couple of moments where you're not, you may be like, okay, what's going on? But for the most part, it's always been a, an emotional ride with him in the front seat of my car. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and uh, tonight is a makeup um, episode. Um, my guest, Steve, joined me way back in November. We had an amazing discussion, not that I can remember because it was so long ago, but it was a great talk. It, it, and, um, and then when I went to edit it, his side had not been recorded. So uh, <laughs> Steve, being a great guy, is like, ah, we'll just figure it out later. And it took us a few months to work through this. But uh, Steve, welcome to the show, and uh, thanks for doing this again. Oh, Jesse, thanks so much for, for asking me back. I, I thought it might have been something that I'd done. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Damn, darn technology. Uh, no, it's good, to be, it's good to be back. Oh, good. Introduce yourself to the audience. Well, you know, again, um, I turned 59 years old on Thursday, so I'm a child of the 70s. Um, music has been in, uh, a fabric of my life since uh, my mother, I think, was dancing around with the Beatles playing uh, while I was in her womb. And it was always a kind of an eclectic mix of music from Broadway to folk to rock and roll when I was a kid. And I ended up just where I am now, which is basically I've been a television producer for 37 years. Um, and also um, my other life is as a music writer uh, with my own website. And I contribute to a number of Washington, D.C. websites, as well as uh, I'm also a musician and have been a lead singer in bands for about 15 years. And I'm still playing. Um, here and um, I'm very excited. I got asked to sing backup for a guy named Cleve Francis, who has been around for about 35 years. He's one of the early African American country artists in, oh, the, nice. in the business, which there are, there aren't many of them, as you know, uh, Charlie Pride and now yeah. Darius Rucker. But it's it's not something that's common. So he was one a while back, but he he chose the cardiologist route, and so he plays every year or two and does huge tours. And he, they asked, "I'm singing backup at a at a club here for this guy." So that's a kind of a midlife rocker excitement. But other than that, my friend, it's all about music, and that's why I'm here with your amazing uh, show. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, so we're going to get off the agenda right away. Uh, since you <laughs> mentioned country music, uh, did you see sure. Ken's Burns documentary? Oh. For just finished it, uh, Jesse, about a week and a half ago. We were immersed for, you know, a, a few weeks watching it. One of the great things I've 
I've ever seen him do. And there's a lot to compete with that. Civil War, to me, could have been the best he's ever done. I'm a baseball fan, so baseball was fabulous. Jazz was amazing. But boy, did I have a new sense of country music after seeing that. It you was know, fabulous. I feel the same way. Uh, absolutely, Civil War was amazing. Uh, baseball is truly one of my favorites. Um, you know, the the Roosevelt's, um, you know, his World War II, you know, the the Dust Bowl and the Depression. Yeah. But there is something about this country um, music one and um, I, I kind of ended up seeing some of the promotions he did and watched some of the behind the scenes. And they talked about one of the things that they found great about this is um, his, historically, pardon the pun, they would have historians tell a lot of the stories. And as this one, they started recording and all this they learned really quickly that almost every actual country and music musician knew about their past and about the history of country right. music as much as historian and I so believe it. and that's right yeah and and so they were able to tell a lot of the stories uh, that you normally you would have a historian tell and and also with a personal kind of angle because of all the connections there. That's what I loved about that, Jesse, as you just said, the, the threads that, that, that they built, you, they had people talking about it like they were historians. As you said, the Marty Stewart was just so hugely knowledgeable about so much. And then you had Vince Gill and you had all these people and then their stories became woven into it. I think the thing that got me the most about about it when i was done was you know the fact that i i just i looked at country music differently and and you know it, it really is an amalgam of, of so many different music musics as all the all music is you know rock and roll is jazz yeah. and blues and you know and and um and you know honky tonk and all this so i came away really appreciating and i also frankly loved seeing all uh, i've interviewed a number of people in, in in the in the documentary and yeah. they were emmy lou harris and john McEwen from nitty gritty dirt band and a number of others and they were all such good people it, it was a wonderful experience yeah i loved marcellus being on there you know this this yes. this guy you know talking about the roots and then and what i was fascinated by is he starts comparing the western swing band to a jazz combo and he says yes. it's the same thing if you notice jazz combo they may have you know the horn player take a solo or the saxophone player and just take it on right he said if you see western swing that's what they did and um you know they'll all oh, yeah and then they'll you know they'll kick it to the fiddle or the steel guitar and it's just it is um Two different styles of music, but the same kind of structure was pretty amazing. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It was. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a special piece. Yeah, I, I do, and it. it um, and we, Linda and I kept looking at each other. Um, I told the story when um, I had Jeff on and talking about this. I have a great friend named Junior that always chastises people when they when they talk about the Marvel Universe movies. 
and says, well, I just skipped that one. And he goes, no, no, no. And he entwines his fingers. They're, they're all connected. You've got to see them all. And we kept looking <laughs> over that um, starting from that little city where Jimmy Rogers and the Carter brother, the Carter family were recorded. <laughs> and you just, the, the roots sprang and they're just all connected. I mean, Oh, they are, and and yeah. it really comes off. As, Johnny Cash really comes off as a as a, a real force to be reckoned with throughout the entire thing. Yes, and you know, coming from such incredibly humble beginnings and things like that. One thing um, that I that I watched when I was done with this, and I was flying back from Florida after a, a, a shoot I was on a video shoot was Tricky Dick and the Man in Black. Yes, I a, watched a, that. A, 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 yeah. And that is a really interesting look at Johnny Cash's influence on, frankly, on Richard Nixon and, and, and playing the White House and not playing the songs that Nixon wanted him to play Ogie from Muskogee. Yeah. It's just an awful thing for Cash to want to play. And he mm-hmm. didn't and did yeah. song about truth. And then a month later, you know, uh, Nixon's going to be um, uh, impeached. So it was a pretty amazing um, experience to watch that right after. But, yeah, what a what a what a great piece. I don't know if you ever um, listen to, um, Tyler Coe's, um, podcast, the a history of country music. And I'll look at the right name now. of it. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to have to look this up real quick. So, um, it is, um, he, um, it is Dave Allen Cole's son. Um, and he, um, talks about this that Cocaine's of Rhinestones is the name of the podcast. And there's only been one right. season so far. But he tells the story, you know, in the introduction, he says, I've heard these stories my whole life. And, um, so, and there is an episode talking about Oki from Mistoki and how right. that it, it probably was when Merle Haggard did this, it was kind of supposed to be a kind um making fun of it, almost a parody song. Oh, completely. Be- yeah. But then when people embraced it, because Oki is a slur, and that's what right. they call and They go into that history. Um, and um, it's, yeah, it's a... Uh, <sighs> Not that well, we have further, any time. Yeah. It, it furthered the illusion of country, of country hillbilly type of references that were yeah. that were negative. And then you know Nixon wanted him to sing Cadillac, which yeah. is a song that basically degrades the the welfare yes. state. And so it was. And Johnny said, "Screw no. you, sir. We're yeah. going to do this." So yeah. strong awesome. guy. Yeah, great, great, great. Um, so you've already talked about how um, you a child of the seventies. But uh, let's right. go back. Talk about your early growing up. Where did you grow up at? And uh, talk about what kind of music did your family listen to as you were growing up? Well, it was uh, in, in the 70s in, in Fairfield County, Connecticut, about, uh, about an hour outside of Manhattan. So we were influenced by New York. We would go in often and see Broadway shows. My mother was an actress. So I was very, very in, kind of immersed in the arts. Um and then the music that they would listen to would vary, you know, anything from, from again, the Beatles were part of our lives in the early 60s I was born. So uh, it was a lot of kind of Beatles rock and roll. There was Neil Diamond. There was um, all kinds of folk music, Peter, Paul and Mary, things like that. A lot of Broadway show um, soundtracks. I, I listen to those even today, a lot of things like West Side Story and 
and and sound of music and things like that but it's it was a a very eclectic um you know largely wonderful childhood full of things that i think direct directly influence who i am today and what i enjoy the most um you know things like like music and the arts um, i'm you know very very heavily into all of that and i think it comes can come directly from the influence that you have with your parents so it was all of that and then it began to evolve into a a kind of a hard rock slash southern rock which was so huge in connecticut in the in the 70s we were we were huge fans of all of the early southern rock bands like leonard skinner and marshall tucker and the outlaws and and the allman brothers and even molly hatchet and things like that and really saw them whenever they would come to connecticut we would run out and see them so it was a kind of a hard rock southern rock um type of upbringing in, in connecticut in the 70s is really what kind of you know, facilitated my the beginnings of my my musical enjoyment. So, did you know you always wanted to be a writer? <clears throat> I always wanted to be a journalist of some kind. I think even when I was in, probably in early single digits, I, I I used to do a newspaper for my parents called the Hulk Reporter, and <laughs> we used to I used to. I used to put things in it like, you know, cat jumps on counter and then a little subtitle like looking for food finds, you know, something else and then a little byline. And so it was always I think I was always fascinated with with news. I mean, Walter Cronkite was a huge part of our upbringing. Um, I ended up, you know, loving Dan Rather when he was so young and then ended up, um, you know, he was my my college commencement speaker at Boston University. He was one of my one of my great journalists and heroes. But I, I, I still am a news junkie. I loved news back then. Wanted to be a news anchor. Um, I think that was kind of a, a dream of mine. And then as I kind of saw what was out there, I decided to go behind the scenes in television and have been there for 36 years. But it's, it, was a, it was a really interesting kind of decision to either go full journalism or, or, or more into kind of more uh, directing and producing and writing television. And that's kind of where, where I ended up going and making a career out of it that's still going. And, uh, you know, what's beautiful with today's society mm-hmm. is um, with a website, you know, you can stretch those muscles, right? You can you can scratch that itch. Oh, well, what I've been able to do, and, and th- you know, Jesse, this has been a, I mean, uh, like the singing, the singing came completely unexpected 15 years ago, and now I'm in four bands playing gigs every month, every four weeks. I mean, it's just amazing. The writing just evolved writing largely for the Alexandria Times, which is one of the, the, the newspapers outside of Washington and suburban Alexandria, Virginia, where um, it was owned by a company, a, a family, the Arundels. And um, John Arundel was a, was a, a guy, a guy I knew through a few, few people and said, I'd like you to write a little for me if you're into it. I know, you know, you're, you talked about writing music. So I did an article on Lyle Lovett and Bob Dylan or something. And then it just started to evolve a little bit slower started to begin to you know to kind of cultivate contacts and then um as you just said you know the the technologies just started taking off and uh i was able to kind of begin my own blog called midlife rocker and then you know start to interview some pretty big people i mean early on there were the the buddy guys and the john mayalls and the you know people that were my idols and i i wasn't even touching the surface yet so it began to evolve into a real second life um and it's it's been that way. I've I've done it all on my own. I'm a freelance writer, so I always, I contribute to my website and to other sites. I don't get paid a salary, but I get to uh, I get to see the groups and meet the meet my idols for free. So that is kind of the payoff. And to talk to these people. I mean, I was just telling you just even in the last week, it was Jim Messina, 
last week from Loggins and Messina, who was such a fascinating guy and Buffalo Springfield and started Poco. And you just, yeah. you, you know, these guys, and some of them, well, as you know, you know, some of them love to talk and he, he loves to talk. So there, Sergio Mendez, you're my age, you know, Sergio Mendez in sure. the Brazil 66. I interviewed him about th- th- three weeks ago. And I will tell your audience and you that as my interview went away, his didn't record. Oh no. <laughs> so, so I had, I took some what I what I'm doing right now, and that's something I want to talk to you offline about. I have I'm just having app issues with some of my recordings, and okay. um, it uh, it didn't record, but I took copious notes, so that happens. But the the writing has been an absolute blessing. I think what's really interesting is the writing and the performing have become another career for me and another life and a and a and a, and a, a blessed one. So I'm I'm really lucky. I'm you know to be a rock and roll fan and a music fan and then to kind of be able to actually immerse myself in it has been a gift. It's been a, a blessing. I can't even I can't even begin to appreciate. Yeah, I I, I can imagine. And so um, I don't remember. I know you told me when we recorded before, but talk to me sure. about how you discovered Bruce. Well, it was coming out of Connecticut, um, being this southern rock fan, going to all these largely Southern rock shows and, and Aerosmith and, you know, Kiss and other bands. And I went to the University of Hartford and met a number of people. I actually became a dead head of sorts or a Grateful Dead fan because of a lot of the guys from Long Island um, and, and stuff were at Hartford and they were dead fans. But my college roommate was from Ridgewood um, in Bergen County um, and, and New Jersey and um, was a fan of Bruce, I could tell, but hadn't given, hadn't thrown him on me yet and i you know i knew bruce existed um funny in connecticut in the 70s i think you either knew him very very well or you kind of knew him as born to run and you know darkness hadn't come out so he'd only had you know born born to run and greetings and and wild and the innocent so i didn't really know bruce's music very well at all and um to try to condense it just a bit you know jim went home for for christmas to ridgewood i went home to wilton came back from vacation and he said, I have this album. And I, he held up, you know, Frank Stefanko's pictures who have become kind of good social media buddies with what a sweet man, uh, his pictures of Bruce on darkness. And I said, well, wow, that's, that's Springsteen. Right. And he's like, and he played that record, Jesse with no, no blowing smoke. He played it in our dorm room on Dubois fourth front in Hartford university of Hartford. And that changed my entire life. I yeah. mean, with for, musically, uh, as it does for so many of us who love who love Bruce and his music, mm-hmm. he, he, I said this is this gets to me immediately. It 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 got, it got to me for, you know through every song on the record, and and it's such a sweeping, wonderful record because of all the different songs on it. There are so many different things. So I, that was really where it hit me the first time, and um, we began to listen to Darkness endlessly, and of course from there things began to I began to go go back into his career a little bit in the, in seventy eight and seventy nine. Um, we went to see him for the first time ever at no nukes. And, um, wow. I've been seeing some clips bounce around lately, uh, of his show there. And we had the last row on the top at Madison square garden. So a huge arena and yeah. way, way, way in the rafters. And he moved me, uh, just incredibly. And I'd never seen him. And I was like, there's something, obviously we, I found here what is what is going on with him, and he, I guess he did a few did a few songs on the river, I think, at night, but it was mostly you know kind of fun stuff, and then Detroit medley, as you know, and all that. So yeah. I walked away beginning the fandom, and I think um, as I mentioned in our call previously, you know, the the thing that changed my my entire life with Bruce was 
I had left the University of Hartford and transferred to Boston University, but kept close friends with my friends at Hartford. And they, my roommate Jim, who turned me on to darkness, called me and said, I've got you third row at Hartford um, on December 8th, 1980, for uh, Bruce at the River Tour. And I drove down and sat third row in front of Clarence. And that changed everything. I mean, that it went from, okay, this guy's pretty cool and, and, and neat and to transforming me, um, you know, and, and to see the River Redux tour recently took me right back to that 1980 show where I bet it did. You know, he really showed me everything about him. And, and we got, and we got the whole river record practically, but we also got everything else. We got almost yeah. all of born to run. Um, so those, those were the, those were the seminal moments that, that triggered everything. And, and then obviously it, it goes on from there. Do you, can you articulate why, why did he speak to you? Why did this guy's music just awaken something in you? Well, Jesse, um, you know, my, my mother was an actress, father was an architect. I grew up in an emotional, very cognizant of, of writing and lyrics and performance and, the 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 kind of the the core of what people tried to do when they do music um was kind of evident to me at a young age so i always loved the lyrics that people wrote even leonard skinner ronnie van zandt was a beautiful songwriter it wasn't just crazy ass southern rock it was all you know all my life it's been about songwriting so i thought i thought i would find somebody down the road now when you're sitting there watching this man who you really are just starting to get to know, um, kneeling down in a bright light shining from the floor up into his face during wreck on the highway or stolen car when he's jumping off the piano during, you know, during thunder road and jungle land and, and all the songs from, from the river, you're getting such a sweeping overview of who Bruce was, even in 1980, that he's going to take you on a ride of a multitude of, of directions. So it wasn't just going to be, this is great music. Let's rock. Uh, you were taken somewhere. And I think you and I talk about this, you know, it's every time since then, every single show, every album for me, I mean, you know, there's a couple of moments where you're not, you may be like, okay, what's going on. But for the most part, it's always been a, an emotional ride with him in the front seat of my car. Um, and that's what happened in that show. That show was probably out of about the, you know, the dozens of shows I've seen, still the best because it was, it, I was so new and, and, um, so, so to such a Bruce virgin of sorts, it was, it was, um, you know, again, he, t he takes you on a ride and he took me on a ride from minute one. And I think it's been that way ever since he took me on a ride. When I watched Western stars uh, a few months ago, I was like, I was mesmerized. It was like, you know, it's a bit, to use a crass term, that, that movie is a, is a Bruce Franz wet dream. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, it's just, it's, it's mind, mind bending to see him at this age, kind of standing in a barn playing these, these Glenn Campbell-esque songs. So I've, I, I, I've shared this before and, it's, and you've probably heard this if you've listened to an episode, but you know, we went there, there was my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Lynn and I, and she reaches over kind of three or four songs into it and go, you so want to be one of those people in the barn, don't you? And I said, yes, yes. <laughs> and so we, you know, we're quiet and watch. And then at the end, you know, their names are listed in the credits. And I look at her like, they only, not only do they get their, they get their name in the credits. Um, right. It's just like, ah. Um, I, 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 coming up, I have a, um, a show. 
I recorded a couple weeks ago, and as we, in the timey-wimey way thing of this, by this is, it's probably already been released, but I'm talking to Al from Belfast, and he talked about um, how he discovered Bruce was almost a mirror image of Blinded by the Light, an American journalist was talking right. to him and um, he, he uh, they they helped him do something uh, Al and his buddies and the journalist reached in his pocket handed each of them a dollar bill and when he got to Al he was out of ones and he says I don't have a dollar and, oh that's okay no 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 come here come to my car and he pulled a born in the USA cassette and said here I'll give you this instead and Al said oh. it it changed his life, right? And that's great. I and love that. So yes. Um, so th- what I mean, think that's of all that, it took. It... That all it took. And you know, I thought Blind Over the Light was amazing. I think it showed the power of his music. I think the way they filmed it and giving the lyrics were perfect. And also the the danger of becoming overly fanatic. You know, a newly convert can almost, you can lose perspective, right? And I thought they did a good job of showing that. Um, so I'm right. like, okay, we, you know, there's no, I mean, this is, all right, we've got a Springsteen film for the year. And then when you get Western stars, you're like, oh my goodness, right. I can't believe we're getting this. Um, and it was just, I agree with you. It was something very powerful. Well, if you, ju- if, you know, if you, if you jump ahead from, from 1980 in the in the snow, walking into Hartford Civic Center, and then having your life changed, to that barn on you know on his, on his estate, and the emotion, it was almost too much. It was so incredible to see yeah. him talking about himself and riding in the car. It was an it was an absolute Springsteen, you know, it was like Springsteen on Broadway, you know, kind of epilogue. And um, yes. I just, I've fallen in love with the record. I, 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 um, I really have. Again, I'm a little bit of a Bruce Homer. There's not a lot he can do wrong in my book, but I was really interested to hear this. And I, I love the whole record. It's a beautiful thing. And I think I told you this before is when, right before it came out, I had interviewed Jimmy Webb. Yeah. Uh, so we talked all about Glenn Campbell's songs that he wrote for him and all this stuff. And, and we talked a little bit about Bruce and then to hear Bruce come out like three weeks later and start talking about Jimmy Webb and how it sounds all like California rock. It was, um, it was an incredible experience to see that, to the, that film, but that's the, that's the moving nature of this guy and that he can, he can take us 40 years into the future and still, still have us by the heart. And that's, that's, I think the key to my, my continued um, respect and admiration and adoration it doesn't hurt that my son, who's just turned 24, is a, is a Springsteen fan as well. I've, I've done well. <laughs> yes, you've done very well. You know, I, um, I, I know he doesn't care, but I really was disappointed he wasn't nominated for a Grammy. Um, right, me too. <laughs> and, and I know he could give a shit, to be blunt, right? right. Like, you know, but yeah. I just, I thought at this point in his career, and at this age, to be doing something so creative, so uh, taking a chance, and for it to be so good, um, should have been rewarded. And um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there actually, someone wrote an article about was the Grammys now having some ageism 
that because for a while they they were only they were not embracing newer bands and they were only embracing the older bands now then have the pendulum swung too far the other end where even though they're an older artist doing something creative they're like no 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 we've got to stick with the newer stuff um so right um, i yeah and and like i said he he could care less i think i think he kind of would have liked to gotten an emmy just to you know to make that honorary egot um right. but yeah. um but as i told many people on social media um when you're against the beetle that's a tough thing to beat <laughs> And, <laughs> yes, it is. It yeah. is. And what's interesting is that the box office for this for Western Stars was not good. No, I mean it nobody. Wasn't. There were there were empty empty theaters at some of the local theaters here in yeah. Northern Virginia, but um, but it really it's all about you know, it. What it was again, and it's something that's interesting. And I've talked about it with friends and with Suzanne, who I live with here. And you know, it, the, the artists like Bruce are able to do whatever they want, and right. and this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to tell stories about. About, he wanted to make more stories, but they're about older, kind of broken yes. men who are trying to kind of put it back together. And a lot of it was him. And to touch on, you know, um, one kind of blasphemy, and I know people who are going to hear this are going to be like, you're, how are you a 45-year Bruce fan if you haven't finished this book? I'm so ner- I'm, I'm always just so flipped about reading it because I know I'll just I won't be able to do anything for the next sure. five Absolutely. weeks that I need to read it. But I've, do- I've, I've I dove into it, and um, this is just a little interesting little sidelight. And I was reading it. I've been traveling a lot for work lately, and I read the first about 100 pages. So, of course, immersed again. And then to watch Sp- Springsteen on Broadway and see him talk up, talk about the same thing, but touch on other little elements. It is it is again. It's um it's a fascinating ride with this guy, and we're really lucky. We really all are very very lucky to be on it with him. We are, we are. Uh, just for the record, and I will always uh, put that the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are because there are circumstances. Right. But do you know roughly how many times you have seen him? Yeah, I think it's probably at this point between 40, 30 and 40 times. Okay, good. Um, it, it's not bad. It, it probably would have been more had I started earlier, and I, but right. I think I've seen – at least a couple shows on every tour. Um, and, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, and again, as I said before, I, I have never even come close to being disappointed, you know, even with the, the non E street band tour, it was, it's, he he still takes you on the ride, no matter what degree of it it is. Absolutely. I mean, I, um, he has been a good companion on this part of the ride. You know, I mean, just just yeah. to quote is true. Um, so, Steve, let's I want to we'll talk a little bit more about Bruce and his music. But um, uh, talk to me a little bit. So you started writing and you started doing these stories. Um, I know you've mentioned you've been lucky enough to talk to uh, some of the East Street band members. So why don't you share with me a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to do that. I mean, the most recent was probably the most dynamic by by far, and it was with Max. Um, you know, uh, I, I've interviewed a lot of pretty uh, pretty incredible musicians from around around the spectrum of, of music, and love every second of every interview. Uh, the, this was different. Um, 
to talk to a guy like Max, who I, you know, I know who's been, has been alongside Bruce, unlike almost anybody else since the beginning. And that was a, that was an absolute thrill. He had so many cool things to say and on, on living on music, which is my own site. It's, it's, it's on there and you can kind of check it out. Uh, people can, can check it out, but he was such a, he, he was such a wonderful person to talk to because he is still, he is still so kind of respectful and, and in awe of Bruce, even though they're dear, dear, dear friends and loved some of the things that he talked about. Um, one thing that particularly stuck in my mind was the story of, of when he first came walking in to do the audition and, you know, he said he fell in love and I just love that. You know, it's like, yeah obviously not romantically with the man, but romantically was the music and the man doing the music. And Bruce taught him things that he used in his life, um, not just in music. So the experience with Bruce that Max has had and continues to have is just so fabulous. Um, just a wonderful guy. Um, I talked to, to Jake, um, never interviewed Cla- Clarence, but talked to Jake um, a, a year or so ago. And that was, what a sweetheart, you know, you know, all about his demeanor is just so kind and wonderful. And that was, um, that was very, very special. Um, probably as close to max as anybody that I, I just talked to him again about, uh, five or six months ago was Nils. Uh, he's from the DC area. Um, he's, um, obviously, uh, obviously has a, a wonderful following outside of his association with Bruce. Yes. Um, ironically as hell in my job at Fannie Mae, where I am the senior video producer in downtown Washington, the woman I was sitting next to for the longest time is in her late twenties, a graphic artist. She knew, knew the law friends very well. Um, being of that generation didn't really realize the power that, that, that Nils kind of has these days in the musical world and ended up, um, I ended up being able to get her great seats because of my writing for her family, the law with the Lofgren. So it was very, oh, how nice. <laughs> At the mill, at the mill show, and what a show! I mean, he did such a fabulous solo show, and is such a great art, artist in, in his own right. But talking all about, um, he was so close to Clarence, as everybody knows yes. who loves Bruce. He was so they they became, I think, probably tighter than almost any members of the E Street Band had because a yeah. they stood next to each other so often, exactly, and talked about that talked about watching Jake. Um, and I relayed this to Jake and he got a little bit choked up. Um, you know, Nils standing in the dark, watching him do jungle land for the first time in Philly, I think it was, and was like, you know, well, I, I got to move on and, uh, it'd never be the same without Clarence, but here's this amazing nephew go for yeah. it. So Nils, Nils was wonderful. Um, other than that, it's been, um, uh, you know, I've met Roy, um, but didn't interview him and met Steven and didn't interview him, but those guys are kind of, the core of the interviews that I've done. Yeah. Uh, will I get Bruce someday? Probably not. I, I've, I've gotten, it's been crazier, you know, I mean, I almost yeah. got Ringo this summer, which would, would have been fun, that but I think he's fun. probably out of the realm of my, of my reach, but I, yeah. I, um, it's, it's, it's been a great, great experience interviewing these guys who are so close to him. I, um, I have little Steven has done a lot, a lot of press over between the soul, um, yeah. You know, his, you know, his summer of saucery tour and everything. And one of the things that I find fascinating is his candid um, assessment of I should not have left the E Street Band. That um, there is, you know, he he talks a lot about you always parlay your success of this thing to what are you going to do the next thing. And he says, and I right. didn't do that. 
And he's also been very vocal that telling current groups never break up. You guys have something magical. You have a friendship and a love for each other. Go do your solo stuff. Absolutely. Go be creative, but always keep the band right. there because you can always come back to it. Um, and it sounds like if he had to do it all over again, um, and he talked about it. he, you know, he was candid, you know, I, would I have done um, the anti-apartheid stuff? Would I have helped put that political pressure? I, I don't know. So I can't second guess myself. But financially, he he damn sure says it was not smart for him to leave the history band. No, not at all. And he, he was interviewed, I think, by might have been Brian Hyatt um, mm -hmm. in Rolling Stone recently and, and addressed that exact point and said, yeah. I, effed, I effed up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he wanted his own thing. So many people do that. It's incredible yeah. how many musicians do that. Yeah. So, but I uh, would love to talk to Steven someday. I just adore him too. Yeah, I got to meet him just for five seconds before he yeah. was here in Dallas, and you know, he was at, um, you know, he was supposed to be doing um, his radio show, and they ended up not letting doing it for complicated reasons so he was just having a meal with his band but he took pictures with everyone and was very nice beforehand yeah so that that's you know, that's all kind. i got from him too yeah exactly yeah i met him uh, in the i met him underneath the the downtown capital arena before a brew yeah. show for like then yeah. i got a got a quick picture and um yeah the, 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 the a really funny quick side story and when i met roy um it was the you two had done their rattle and hum world premiere in manhattan and as a huge U2 fan, I went down and we wanted to see them just kind of show up on the red carpet. And they didn't pull up in a limo. They pulled up in a Volkswagen bug and all oh, got out of it and went in, you know, it was cute. And a woman we were with coerced the policeman to say where the where the after gathering was going to be of, of whoever attended the premiere. And so we went over and we waited in front of this bar and saw Keith Richards pulled up. Uh, all the members of, of um, a number a number of bands pulled up. It was amazing, and all of a sudden this bus got pulled up right in front of us, and out out walked Roy. And I was like, Roy, and he goes, "How you doing?" And that was that was about a five second hello from Roy Bitten, but at least that. I at least I had the Roy. Yeah, it was great. It was, uh, and then That's you two kind of came up and pulled in. But yeah, that was a neat story. Yeah, um, one of the things you will want to hear. Um, speaking of Al, um, the the interview that I had um, with him is um, for Belfast, as he says that, as he called them, the lads still show up at times um, watching their kids or their relatives, their kids, their relatives' kids play uh, sports. And he said, and they oh, tend wow. to be just like the other dads like yelling at the referee, giving advice. And he says they just look like another dad out there talking to their kids. He says it was just – and I, I pictured that thinking that would be really fun to see. Um, <laughs> That's great. I love yeah, that. Uh, getting back to a little bit of Bruce, and um, sure. you've, you've talked about how much darkness meant to you, um, and especially you've also talked about Western Stars. Um, are there other albums or songs that have meant something to you, either because of something specific you were going through in your life or just a something that just it, it spoke to you? I, I think as, as all of us who are um, 
who are deep indebted to and adore his music and, and value it. There, there, there are so many sweeping different kinds of that. I think the river to me is probably overall the, you know, the first record that as I got darkness under my belt that he put out and just kind of hit us all in the head, because again, it's got so many different kinds of music up, down, sideways and beautiful stuff. Um, I think as I started to get more into his music, things like racing in the street and, and back streets and jungle land, these, these, these epic tales that he would tell became, became part of kind of the psyche of Bruce for me as it went on. And then as, as each record came out, um, you know, I think there were those, those songs living proof is something that I always play because that was from that era where we were all a little bit like, well, where, where'd they go? <laughs> and, and, you know, talking to Max, he was completely thrown off and, and, you know, was walking around in the streets going, what the hell just happened to my career? So, but, um, um live- yeah, I'm going to jump. I am fascinated by that, Steve. So if you could take a few minutes, um, mm-hmm. I want to hear what Max shared with you and, and we can also go to the article, but as a fan, what were you thinking during this dark time? You know, the dark period. I mean, Bruce's fired the band. He's moved to California. You know, he's he's raising his kids. You know, what right. what were you thinking about that as a as a fan? Well, it was it, it it's a number of as as with anybody that you that you dearly love um like Bruce and like the like his career and his music. It was the Julianne Phillips kind of phase as well where um, yeah. I remember we were at the tunnel of we were at the tunnel of love show um, in Springfield, I think Springfield, Mass, or one of the tunnel of love shows, and um, Bruce and Patty were clearly connecting on stage. Yeah. It was, you know, it was it was an automatic, and um, we were all like, "Well, what's going on?" And the women we were with, my girlfriend at the time, who became my wife, and uh, and another friend of ours, were like, oh, something's going on there. And we were like, no, no, there can't be. Bruce wouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. So he did He did that little interesting digression of his time and then found Patty and all has been well. But when he, I remember one night we were at a party on a Saturday in, in suburban Westchester County, New York with some friends. And we, I, I said, Bruce is on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And we all ran downstairs and we turned it on. And there he was with... Shane Fontaine, you know, uh, the drummer, I can't remember his name. She's from the B-52s. Um, you know, all Bobby, whatever, Bobby King, all these people, and no E Street band. I don't even think, was Roy or Danny even playing with them at, at that point? Um, on Saturday? I don't think so. Maybe Roy think, was. Yeah, maybe. But it was, yeah. that's where you, as you, uh, as you said, you know, that's where you kind of went, all right, you know what you're doing. You know, you, you, have, the, you have the amazing talent you have us all in your in the palm of your hand but what is this and will it ever come back and i think that's when at least for me early on i always said okay this is this is i love him enough to give him a moment and you know the lucky town records those two um records were had you know had wonderful moments on them that i still love you know book of i mean there's there's some beautiful music on there Real Man, I think, is the only song I probably don't really need to hear much of anymore. <laughs> but other than that, you know, we love everything he's done. Sure. So I think you, you basic. I'm, a, I'm the kind of person, and, and there, there are some like me and some not. Who, if you, would, if you like an artist enough, and I, a lot of the music that I, that I like, and have loved over the years, you um, too is a perfect example. When they did pop, people were like, "My God, what have they done?" 
um, what is this? What is numb? What is discotheque? What is all this music? Now, it turns out some of the songs on that record are some of my favorite U2 songs that they've done. Right. But you have to give an artist, you have to let them do what they need to do if, if you respect them at all. And if you don't like the direction they're going in, well, all right, we'll take a breath and go listen to some other music. They'll be back. And look what Bruce did. He did this, you know, still a great, those are still two great records. But yeah. you have to give them, to me, you have to give them the freedom of being able to experiment, being able to say, okay, I need a minute away from my my boys, my brothers, yeah. my band of brothers. And he did that. And then, my God, look what he did. They took the world by storm for the next 25 years. So Absolutely. And I respect him for taking that path. I, I do, too. And, and I understood it it needed to happen. You know, looking back yeah. now, you know, as seeing how it ends. But I, I, I thank you for sharing that because I can imagine, you know, the idea of, well, what if they never get back together? I mean, you know, I mean, the, you know, um, the Beatles tragically, um, with John Lennon's assassination, you know, or killing was not, you know, never had that opportunity, but you, you wonder, right? Like, um, you know, there were millions of fans around the world, you know, would have loved to seen the four lads get back together again. Right. And so I right. think it's amazing that we've, as Springsteen fans got our happy ending, starting with the rising and then going all the way through, you know, all these albums. And um, I don't know on the next tour if they'll do a Western Stars song or not. Um, if you had to pick one, I, I would pick Tucson Train because little Steven covered it. And, you know, it seems like that's a very E Street band song. But they could do some other yeah. ones, too. Yeah, they could. And, um, you know, as I'm listening to the record and it just continues to grow on me, I continue to find to find favorites. You know, you mentioned the rising, Jesse, um, you know, uh, living so close to Washington, to New York, being in my office and seeing the smoke over the Pentagon. Um, my my then wife driving home from her job at the Smithsonian through the smoke um, yeah. to get home to our new daughter. Um, that whole situation, you know, shook us all to the core. And that record, to me, as you asked a few minutes ago, was a moment, again, another moment in time. Um, I think everything on that record is, is brilliant to a, to a song. Um, and then the show. I mean, uh, he played uh, three months after 9-11 in Washington. And it was probably, it's hard to say, every show with Bruce is massively emotional. But that show took, took us and just, we were people, we were weeping in the crowd. And that's just, again... Part of his beauty is that he's able to take such a heinous day and show, you know, you're, and I was, I was just going through a divorce mm -hmm. um, at that time. I had a remarriage. I had a, a remarried and had a baby, so things were okay. But the you're missing didn't just make me think of the dead on 9-11. Yeah. It made me think of my, my soon-to-be ex-wife. So that's what he does. He's, yeah. He translates music across spectrums that you can take into your own heart. So, yeah. So I have been lucky enough that Linda and I got married in 84. Um, so this past summer was 35 years of marriage. Uh, though, um, Congratulations. My, thank you. My, my parents um, uh, divorced and then um, she married, a, my mom married a wonderful man in the second marriage and they got divorced. Um, so I've gone through divorce and, um, I found it very fascinating 
when he talks about Julianne, how much blame he puts on himself. And, you know, he doesn't talk about it a lot, but in the book he does cover it a little bit in the interviews. And she um, has nothing bad to say about him. Now, the cynical person says because he paid her a boatload of money and uh, and she signed an agreement where she couldn't talk bad. Um, I like to think it's because um, he took all the blame and, and it, you know, he said that and you spoilers in the book he mentions he's at a restaurant <laughs> um she is staring talking to him and all he can see is this beautiful woman is going to see through me she is going to realize one day i am a fraud and there is no reason why she should love me yes and that sounds like bruce and especially it sounds like him in that in western stars and in the yeah. broadway show yeah and he said i made people miserable i tried to hurt you and when we yeah. heard that in, in Western stars, I was, I was, I was just upended by hearing him be so yeah. candid and say that he would purposefully hurt you if he loved you. And, um, I think he did that to Julianne. And I, I what I've so heard too. too is that, uh, what I've heard too, and you know, uh, I, everybody can conject, but I think, yeah, as you say, I think that, that they probably, it was the wrong time for both of them, and they both realized it. But hopefully, come came away with it without any, you know, bad blood. He, he took the blame, as you said. Yeah. Um, do, gosh, this is so great. We're gonna, um, we're gonna schedule another time. We'll catch up some more. I want to hear more stories about some of the interviews you've done. Um, but, great. Um, let's let's um, let me ask you the merry question, then we'll do final thoughts. So. Um, Jay Armstrong, who is from the Philly area, is an honors English teacher, and every year his, his senior class, he teaches a lesson on Thunder Road, and they take um, two days, and they study the poem from frontward to backwards, talking about all the uh, um, imagery in the poem. They compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled. Um, they go through right. all of it, and then at the end, he asks the question to his students, does Mary get in the car? So, Steve, your question is, and I, I know I asked <laughs> you this last time, but I do not remember your answer, does Mary get in the car? Well, look, um, you know, if if, it's, if it was up to Bruce, um, you know, they're pulling out of there to win. It's, you know, it's, it's born to run. It's a thunder road. It's all of the songs of getting out of somewhere and starting. I think she gets in and they go. Yes. Okay, good. I, so, I think I just, I do. Uh, and I think that if, if it's Bruce with all his flaws and he's telling you to get in the car, you're going to get in the car. Even so, the Jersey rat Bruce, when he was all little. <laughs> yeah. I do not know if you've heard this theory. But and I, I have to remember who did this. But one of my guests says he believes Moonlight Motel is the sequel to Thunder Road. That Mary got I in the car, that. she drove, they made it to California, they built a life together, and now then he's remembering her. Um, and that when he pours the beer on the ground, it's in memory of her because they spent a lifetime together. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's that's um very romantic. Yes, it <laughs> is. Beautiful. It makes me like the song even more. Um, well, he's pulling out of there to win, so if she gets, absolutely, 
she's got to go with him. And does the wind blow through her hair when she's in the car with him after they've left? I mean, you know, yeah, she's exactly. trading in wings on wheels. Yeah, Let's hope. You got it. Um, <laughs> any final thoughts, Steve? Anything you want to share? Uh, well, um, you know, I think it comes down to um, how interesting, at, again, um, and you can appreciate this, we're just about exactly the same age, give or take a year or two. Um, yeah. um, you know, I'll be 59 and on Thursday, uh, almost 60. Um, I find myself finding comfort in Bruce a lot. And it's, it's, um, it's not just the music. It's um, seeing pictures of Jessica, you know, Patty posts, posts pictures of Jessica all the time. Yeah. You know, she just won the nation's cup, huge, huge, huge thing for a horse, um, jumper. Um, the pictures of them when they were overseas and their vacation, the beauty of social media, social media can be a killer, but yes. the beauty of social media is being able to share things with people you idolize that make you feel a little more intimate. And I think that's what I love at my age is that I'm still feel like I can find Bruce little pieces of him um, as he's going along. But, um, you know, Western stars was a gift for us. And now it's another East street record this year. Let's hope, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm hoping. The evolution, the evolution of him in our hearts is continuing. It's not, it's not ending. Absolutely. Well said, my friend. If someone wants to find you, you've already mentioned your website, but please repeat it. And also, uh, you're on Twitter. Tell us your Twitter handle. Yeah, it's funny. When I started my site, um, I, I wanted to get away from Midlife Rocker, which was my kind of moniker in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I wanted to kind of make my music be able to expand a little bit and not just be about a guy who's in his mid midlife writing yeah. about music like that. So uh, I got living on music was available. And so that is my website. It's living on music, all one word. Um, and then um, I'm on my, my midlife rocker things kind of stuck. So it's um, hashtag midlife rocker, I guess on okay. Instagram and at, at midlife, it's all midlife rocker, but really the website is the core. Um, I'd love to do a podcast. And so I think I need to talk to my friend, Jesse Jackson about how he does his yes, because do. I, I really would love to do something about music in general, and it's just finding the time and being able to do the resources. So maybe you can help me do that. I think absolutely we can talk offline. We will spend some time on that. Hang tight while I do some business. Great. Thanks, Jesse, so hey, much. No, hang on. If you want to be on the podcast and share your Springsteen story, I want to have you. You know this is all about? Uh, reach out to me, um, setlustingbruce at gmail.com is the email address. I'm on Twitter at Set Lusting Bruce um, and at Jesse Jackson DFW. Both of them are mine. You can go to www.setlustingbruce.com. That's our website. From there, you can see the episodes. You can find links to the other Springsteen podcasts and other podcasts that I adore. Hopefully, we're going to get um, Steve on one. Uh, so he'll have mm -hmm. a link. Uh, you can find our Patreon page if you want to kick a couple of bucks uh, my way. Um, every month and also this settler sprucing store where you can get you a Mary Quest t-shirt. Um, Steve, this has been a great, thank you so much. Um, yes, uh, we will, um, we'll set up some time where you can, I just visit and we'll kind of cross over. I have a couple of ideas as well on things we could do and, uh, we'll go from there. But for now, thank you, my friend. Um, it is a joy visiting with you. I can't wait to talk to you again. Um, listeners, thank you for your support and love, and uh, keep hope alive, and we will see you further on down the road. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, 
music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.